Bless, O Lord, by your word. And Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our New Testament passage this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10. This passage recounts a teaching from Jesus that grew out of a discussion and debate that he was having with some Pharisees about the healing of a man who had been blind since birth, but who had been given sight by Jesus. Just prior to our reading this morning, the man who had been healed had bowed down to praise Jesus as the Son of Man and the Messiah. Listen for God's word. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out of his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they'll run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep, runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And the hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Again, the Jewish people were divided because of these words, many of them saying, He has a demon. He's out of his mind. Why listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from Psalm 23. I gave Nelson the long reading. A psalm of David. Jehovah is my shepherd and I do not lack 
in pastures of tender grass, he causes me to lie down. By quiet waters, he leads me. My soul, he refreshes and takes me along in the paths of righteousness for the name of the Lord. And when, when I walk in a valley and there is the thick shadow there, I will fear no evil because you are with me, your rod and your staff both comfort me. You arrange a table, a banquet over and against the adversaries around me, and you have anointed with oil my head, and my cup is full. Only goodness and kindness pursue me all the days of my life and my dwelling is in the house of Jehovah for a length of endless days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I was in Hebrew school in seminary, there was a story that stuck out to me, one that I dearly loved. Our Hebrew professor would often tell stories, taking time out of our four-hour class each day to break up our verb-finding or vocabulary with anecdotes from his life, and he would often tell us about the time that he and his wife spent in Israel and Palestine. I, too, have been blessed to be able to walk through the various places of Israel and Palestine. And so when he told these stories, I was always leaning in, knowing where he was, being able to picture the area that he was talking about. The intensive language program was grueling, and any moment's pause was welcome, just so we could all catch a little mental breath. So in this tale, as he told it, there were sheep. He and his wife were walking down the old road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And then there came up the road to meet them a shepherdess, a younger woman who was probably around 30 or so and had all of these sheep, maybe almost 40 sheep around her as she was guiding down the road. Now, the area you can picture littered with uh, scrub grass and small trees. It's a kind of a trail that winds down and around, even though it's well-traveled by pilgrims and locals and tourists. And our professor was walking there with his wife, and as they crossed paths with this bleeding group of neighbors, the shepherdess took the sheep across a small ravine or, or, or a large gully that bordered the path and up over the other side of the hill. Before they completed that topping of the small rise, our professor's wife nudged him 
and made him turn around and look again at what was happening. Listen, she said, isn't that something? And as he turned and looked, he saw that the sheep were indeed crossing over the ravine and following her. And he saw her nodding in rhythm and looking intently at each one. And our professor said that he could see her lips moving. And he said to his wife, oh, that's really cool. She's counting them as they cross to make sure she doesn't lose any. His wife says, no, no, listen. And as he did, he realized he could make out her voice saying, Khaled, Yusef, Lila. She wasn't counting them course she was reciting the name of each sheep the good shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know the shepherd how good it must be to be a little sheep in Palestine with a shepherdess who knows your name who calls you along the journey because she cares about you You aren't livestock, you aren't a number, you aren't an ear tag. You are Yusef, you are Sarai, you are loved, you are valued, you are taken in by her protection. When we read Psalm 23 just now, some things may have sounded a little different. I was using... Young's literal translation. But what do you think about when you read that poem? When you read that song? Maybe this was something that you memorized as a child or when you were younger. Maybe you've recently received it in a card. Or maybe at a funeral. That seems to be the time when we hear this psalm the most, isn't it? And in the Jewish tradition, too, they sing this at funerals or at the wake. They're waiting over the body. Many people find this psalm a comfort, which comes as no surprise. But there is more to this psalm than we realize. A few years ago, I learned to canter this song in Hebrew. Mizmor la David Ad Hashem ro'leksar Binod eshei Yarbitzeni Al memanucho yanahaleni goes on like that. When it's sung, you can hear the passion and the emotion. Mizmor la David, the song of David. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. It's a beautiful way of seeing the psalm with new eyes. And it repeats parts of the psalm over and over. You prepare a place for me. You prepare a place for me. You prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. Even though I walk in the valley of shadow, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. 
And it's said to be a song of David, Mizmur, a song. And if it's from David, it's written by someone who knows how to care for sheep, right? By someone who has suffered fear and anxiety and deep pain to care for them. By someone who has stayed awake nights protecting them and depending on God. Think more, though, about who David is. Let David's life give you permission to fill in your own fear and pain as you read this psalm. David was a young man who was ripped up from this pastoral life and suddenly in the middle of this war, and not just any war, but a war that he personally had to win the help of God, with God's hands guiding David, of course. But then the celebrity, the fame, came to him. There was a deep friendship with Jonathan that was almost torn apart by this jealous and increasingly insane king. Then David had his own rulership, his own battles, his own failures, the death of his son, his other children at each other's throats, And finally, his own death before he can complete his life's work in the temple. So tell me, what kind of rich and powerful king then writes a song about grass and streams as the ideal for an abundant life? The very first part of this psalm starts talking about what life is with God. It says, with God as shepherd, one cannot lack or want. It is an idea that is tied to God intimately in a way that is not tied to money or wealth or things. It is tied to a line later in Psalm 23 that says, My cup is full. Notice that's what we read this morning. Often it is mistranslated as saying, Runneth over, which is very beautiful and poetic, but intrinsically wrong. The word used for lack or want here at the beginning is used previous to this In the story of God's people, in reference to their provision while in the wilderness in the Exodus. So take your mind back there. When manna and food were being gathered every day, everyone gathering as they needed it. And the scripture says that even those who gathered little lacked for nothing. And then later in Deuteronomy, in reference to that period in Jewish life, During the flight from Egypt, Deuteronomy says that while in the desert, no one lacked for anything. The same words that Psalms uses is here. And if you remember, the desert years, while they're escaping, are the years in which God is living among the people in a tabernacle. The days in which God is leading them by day, with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire. They are literally living in the midst of God's presence. And when you live in the midst of God's presence, you cannot need anything. 
you lack for nothing. It is not a marker of how much you have because that is deemed irrelevant in the earlier passages talking about the gathering of manna. No matter what you gather, you do not want. You lack nothing. So it must be the presence. It must be the shepherd's presence that dispels the wanting. So that the cup, the cup isn't running over. It's not extra. There isn't surplus. The cup is a saturated cup. It is a cup that is full. It is a cup that quenches our thirst no matter how big or small our thirst is. However thirsty you are, that's how big the cup is. The phrase that we translate as runneth over is only used one other time in the Hebrew Bible. And it's in Psalm 66, which is remembering, as it states in verse 6, the path of Exodus and the faithfulness of God who led them out of trial and into the place of abundance. But it is not abundance that is stored up in barns or bank accounts or things. This is simply the life without want. Wealth doesn't matter in this case. Wealth can make you want more, in fact. Wealth does not create an abundant life, and neither does poverty, and neither does anything in between. The satisfying cup, the lack of wanting, is the place where nothing is missing in our lives. That can only come from God as our shepherd, our good shepherd. It's not coincidence that Jesus is using this imagery in John. Jesus, too, is thinking of this psalm. And really, the idea of a leader as shepherd is not new. The Bible didn't come up with it. Jesus didn't come up with it. It was in Hammurabi's code. At the end, Hammurabi himself says, I am the shepherd that is trying to look out for the orphans and the widows. But what's different here is that Jesus is using this imagery and this moment in John to reveal something particular about Messiah. This comes immediately after Jesus has healed a blind man in chapter 9. And the Pharisees spent most of that chapter trying to figure out who Jesus really is. Jesus calls them blind to the truth. And moreover than being blind, they are positioning themselves to run counter to God's plan for Israel. And as we find out in our reading, Jesus mentions the sheep in other folds. So they're really running counter to God's plan for everyone, for the world. And the first thing Jesus does in this chapter is call the Pharisees and Sadducees robbers. They are trying to sneak into the sheep pen by another way other than the gate. Well, I have to notice that because it's not the sinners who are labeled as thieves coming in a different way, but the church leaders. The Pharisees who are strangers to the sheep, causing the sheep to flee. The Bible is wonderfully candid here to tell us that even in the midst of this plain comparison, they're still not getting it. 
So in verse 7, from our passage from John, Jesus starts again. I am the gate, Jesus says. Christ as the gate is not meant to bar us from entry at any time. As Nelson said, the gate flung wide. Christ does not slam the gate in the face of the sheep that's waiting to come in because the sheep is speckled or poor or lame or weak or whatever. The gate is there to keep out robbers, not sheep. Christ as gate does what a gate is built to do for the sheep. It opens It protects. They come in and go out, and by going out through Christ, they find sweet pasture. And notice here that the sheep do not find pasture or filling meals inside the sheepfold. Notice that the sheep do not stay there. They come in through Christ, they go out through Christ into the world at large and find their sustenance there. The promise is not only of the safety of the pen, but of the pasture in the world to be led out into it. When Jesus talks again about being a shepherd, it is a shepherd with two main goals. One is that Jesus as shepherd is there to guide and protect Look back at Psalm 23, and we know that it's with the rod, where the shepherd will get physical with robbers and wolves and thieves, anything that is coming to harm the sheep, and also the staff that is there to guide and move the sheep. Both, Psalm says, are a comfort to the one being watched. And Jesus, unlike the hired hands, does not run from danger and does not live in fear. If there is a valley in which the way bends sharply into the shadows so that we cannot see what is coming around the bend, the shepherd casts our fears out from us. The second thing that Jesus as shepherd tells us is that this shepherding Christ is willing to die so that the sheep will have, what is it, abundant life. A life free of wanting. In exactly the same way as the psalm, Jesus is describing the kind of life that Christ brings. The same life that community and closeness with God has always brought from Exodus Until now, a life that is missing nothing, the life that is lived to its fullest by doing what God intended for the life to do. We read Psalm 23 for comfort. We read it when our lives are insecure, when people pass away. When our vocations and livelihoods change in an instant, I've been reading it. (laughs) And I know that many of you have read it and have had reason to read it for those same reasons. We run to this psalm together 
because of the good shepherd that it describes. Because more than anything, we want the cup that is just the right size for our thirst. We want to be led by a dear friend into that sweet pasture grass. When we are in grief, we need to have our souls refreshed. And we ache, no matter the situation or station of our lives, we ache for that lack of wanting reality that only God has. When we can't see around the bend, we want to be reminded that Jesus has the rod that's ready for robbers and thieves who are trying to go over the wall and a gentle staff to pull us back on track. That's when our heads are dusty and weary from our labor. We want to have that oil poured over us, preparing us for new anointed work. Many of us know how this psalm ends by heart. But again, it sounded a little different in the translation we read this morning. We know that there are two things that it ends with. Goodness and mercy in Hebrew, tov and chesed. The best goodness of the universe and God's amazing loving kindness. But these things do not follow us. This is another translation mistake that's been passed down in the English Bibles. Goodness and God's love don't follow. The root word is radaf, and it doesn't mean follow. It means chase. It means pursue. It means to doggedly and eagerly run after. That's the abundant life that Christ has died for. That's the restoration that the good shepherd has for the sheep. A goodness and mercy that we cannot escape no matter what we are doing. This grace and love of God, this Christ who wants every sheep to come through the gate and be saved is coming after us. For every single day of our lives so that we can live true life without want. Goodness and mercy are chasing us down because the good shepherd knows my name. Because the shepherd knows the name of my wife and my daughter and it knows the name of each one of you. God will always be like that Palestinian shepherdess standing just on the other side of whatever it is in our lives, leading us into another pasture, making sure we make it, and saying our name. 